My homily today is all about hope. With this in mind, I will now describe three people to you. Based solely on the details given in these brief biographical notes, which one of these men can be said to possess the theological virtue of hope? First, there's John. John always looks on the bright side. In fact, he's constantly singing that song, Always look on the bright side of life. Right? You all know it. If you presented John with a partly filled glass of water, he'd definitely tell you it was half full, not half empty. Sadly, however, last month, John lost his job. His mother died. He lost thousands of dollars trading stocks. And he finally found out he has terminal cancer. But he still maintains an upbeat, positive attitude. He's absolutely convinced that things will get better, much, much better in the very near future. And we have Jim. Jim is quite wealthy, but he dearly loves to gamble. On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, he goes to the casino for several hours. On other days of the week, he goes to the dog track, and in between, he buys lottery tickets by the hundreds. But he loses big bucks every single day without fail. And yet he continues on undaunted. When he wakes up every morning, the first sentence out of his mouth is, Today's the day. Today will be my lucky day. Then we have Joe. Joe is a new ager who believes that it's essential to harness the positive energy force of the universe for his personal growth, for his self-actualization. With the help of things like Reiki and channeling and crystals and a lot of positive thinking, he's convinced that he's attaining a higher consciousness and evolving into a more perfect human life form. And he looks forward to being reincarnated several times in the new millennium so that he can get rid of all his bad karma and finally attain the spiritual enlightenment of the great ascended masters of the universe. So, based solely on these details, which one of these men possesses the theological virtue of hope? The correct answer is, none of them does. John, who always looks on the bright side of life, is what we would call a perennial optimist. Jim, the rich gambler, is a delusional addict who needs to face that fact and get himself to a Gambler's Anonymous meeting as soon as possible. And Joe, the New Ager, is what I would call a Gnostic idealist who mistakenly thinks that he can create his own heaven on earth. But none of them possesses the theological gift of hope. Perhaps many of you chose John out of the three. That's understandable if you did that, because in our culture the word hope is often used to signify optimism. You're called, called a hopeful person if you have an upbeat attitude, a positive attitude about your own life and about the future. And don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking optimism. Personally, I usually prefer optimists to pessimists. Most of us probably do. But Christian hope and human optimism are not the same thing. And we need to be clear about that fact. In fact, you can be a terrible pessimist and at the same time be a person of deep, profound, confident Christian hope. Now, I'm sure it would be more pleasant if or your relatives and friends if you had a slightly more positive attitude as you went through life. But the fact that you may be a pessimist 
does not prevent you from having hope. Actually, that's an added reason for you to seek the gift of hope. It will keep you from despair in the midst of your terrible pessimism. Listen now to how the Catechism of the Catholic Church defines hope. This is from paragraph 1817. Catechism says, Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. As the letter to the Hebrews says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised it is faithful. And as St. Paul said to Titus, the Holy Spirit, he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and, because, and become heirs in hope of eternal life. See, Christian hope is focused ultimately on heaven. Those who possess the gift of hope know that God has a kingdom prepared for them. They know that Jesus Christ died to give them that kingdom. They know that Jesus will give them everything they need to get to the kingdom. And they know they will get there if they put their trust in Jesus every day and are faithful to his gospel message. As it says in the glossary of the catechism, hope is, and here I quote, the theological virtue by which we desire and expect from God both eternal life and the grace we need to obtain it. See, if a pessimist is filled with the gift of hope, that pessimist can still smile because he knows that even if nothing goes right for him for the rest of his earthly life, the kingdom of God still awaits him. So his eyes are on that kingdom and his faith is in Jesus Christ who paid the price for him to get there. So deep down inside, he has peace, a measure of peace in the midst of his pessimism. And why do I speak of this on the first Sunday of Advent? Well, specifically, it's because of the foreboding tone of the gospel text we heard a few moments ago. Here, once again, Jesus speaks about the end of the world, and he does so in very unsettling terms. He says, nations will be in disarray or dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and to stand before the Son of Man. From a purely human perspective, my brothers and sisters, that's not exactly the most uplifting gospel text there is. I can think of many others that are a lot more comforting, a lot more appealing. To have peace when you're confronted with a passage like this, you'll need more than an optimistic attitude. You'll need to have hope in your heart. Because a passage like this has a message, a tough message, which attacks optimism. In fact, a passage like this really annihilates human optimism, purely human optimism. For example, I can imagine John, the perennial optimist I mentioned at the beginning of my homily. I can imagine happy-go-lucky John reading this text, really reflecting on its message, getting in touch with that message, and then calling the suicide hotline of the Samaritans. But if John had the virtue of hope in his heart, he'd respond quite differently. He'd read these words and realize that this passage is all about the ultimate fulfillment of his hope. He'd understand that it's about the final consummation of history, when his hope of attaining eternal life, body and soul, in Jesus Christ, will finally be realized. 
Did he have peace in his heart? In spite of the unsettling details that Jesus gives him here about the last days. The theological gifts of faith, hope, and love were planted in us for the first time at baptism. That's something else the Catechism teaches us. But we need to pray, all of us, that those gifts will grow ever stronger within us. So when you receive the body and blood of Christ today in the Eucharist and go back to your pew to pray, say to the Lord, Lord Jesus, fill my heart with hope, real hope, the virtue of hope, the theological gift of hope, which is rooted in the truths of my Catholic faith, the virtue of hope that will sustain me always, always and everywhere on my pilgrim journey to your kingdom. And then if you tend to be a little pessimistic now and then, you might also ask the Lord to give you a more optimistic attitude. It's not the most important thing to pray for, but I think your relatives and friends would be very happy if you did.